What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of I Came With Fire podcast. You see a familiar face up here tonight, and it is David Zhang from China Insider. We've had him on here before. You can go back and check out our last episode with David, China's TikToking clock, and uh, a face you guys may not recognize. Zach's not here. Uh, the good news, Zach's wife finally had their crib midget, so he's home doing that. But this is Chris. Chris is the host of Common Freaking Sense Podcast, the Green Beret medic all around badass dude. Chris, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself real fast, brother? I don't know about the badass dude part, but hey, everybody. Okay. I came with Fire Nation. My name is Chris, Green Beret medic, husband, and father. I run the Common Freaking Sense Podcast. You can find me on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as uh, Instagram. That's where we do the bulk of our work channel exists to help people cut through the propaganda so you guys can enjoy thinking for yourselves again that's what we do over here oh yeah cool david um you know we have you had you on before so i mean if you want to give yourself a little intro you can if not we can just jump right in oh sure i'll just do a brief one uh i host a channel called uh, china insider on youtube and uh i've been basically talking about all things china mainly focusing on the political stuff sometimes social stuff and sometimes humor stuff too Mm-hmm. Awesome, man. I appreciate that. Um, so yeah, uh, we'll just jump right in. I know you're kind of uh, strapped for a little bit of time, so um, it's nice to have you back for sure. We got a. You're, honestly, yours is the most viewed episode that we have on YouTube. I just want to tell you that. I don't know if you're aware. So I thought that was pretty cool, um, but excited to have you back and, and have this conversation. So um, yeah, man, there's a lot I feel has changed between the last time we talked and now. Um, personally feel like the, the tension was, was really, really high last time. And I feel like a lot more clarity has come down between like what the U S thinks China is going to do and what China, you know, how, how China is operating. Would you agree with that? Or what would your, your estimation be? Yeah. So it really, it's like a cycle, right? I, I, I compare it to like a, a guy and a girl dating. It's like you have, you know, a whole year, 365 days, you have like some days you're very warm, some days you're you're not so warm, and then you have bad days, good days. Uh, it's, I think we're in that period of, because I know that news just came out today that they're trying to set up a meeting between Biden and Xi. Mm-hmm. So this is sort of like, you know, don't provoke trouble here. Uh, but, yeah. uh, you know, there's turbulent times coming, but now it's like the peaceful bit before the, you know, the tsunami, so to speak. Okay. So you feel like this is that calm before the storm, like you said, and that is this perhaps an attempt to, you know, bring about a false sense of security that the Chinese are hoping the United States falls into? Uh, I, I hope they don't fall into a false sense of security because everything up to this point has been, well, I mean, this is technically it's a reset, right? It's 2024. 2023 was a turbulent year. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't expect 2024 to change that much. But the the focus for China right now for the CCP, it's really domestic. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Even, you know, like the last time she and Biden met, which is back in November mm-hmm. in uh, San Francisco, APEC, right? They there wasn't. So she came with the mission to sort of get a lot of economic help from the United States to stabilize China's economy. Uh, mm-hmm. I really didn't see much come out of that from the United States side. And now they're trying to s- come up with a second meeting. Uh, or I don't know if this one's going to be virtual or going to be in person, but I, I assume going to be virtual. Uh, but, you know, it just gives you the sense that China needs a lot of domestic stability right now, which they're not getting Definitely. from their, you know, market and so on. So, uh, 
this false sense of security or this calm before the storm you're talking about, it's coming a lot from China's domestic troubles. And if they can't solve that, we might actually end up seeing more so-called you know, quiet time. Because mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, it's, it's a lot of that is coming from within. Uh, mm-hmm. So internal issues, that, that's really the big focus for Xi right now. Yeah, David, I have a I have a question for you on that. If you don't mind, if I I jump in, uh, yeah. going going back to that meeting uh, where she came to San Francisco, there was a lot of uh, reporting in United States media about how Gavin Newsom uh, like really took painstaking efforts to clean up San Francisco to make it look really clean as we were, you know, accepting our, our Chinese, uh, you know, counterparts to come in. Uh, did you see anything in Chinese media about that on their side? Interesting. About what- yeah. So uh, it was interesting because there was actually, so, so here's the interesting part. So that's a really interesting question. Okay. Because what happened on the American side, so to speak, like English media, right? We, our attention was focused on how Gavin Newsom was doing this big stage show for Xi to welcome right. him. And then while well, on the Chinese side, what was happening entirely was focusing on uh, the dissidents, protesters, democracy movement, uh, activists fighting off of these like CCP hired, um, Chinese immigrants that uh, they were basically paid, you know, they, I think they even uh, flew in like escorts from Flushing, mm-hmm. New York, gave mm-hmm. them like 200, 300 US dollars, and mm-hmm. then just had them pretend to be, you know, supporters of the CCP. And then mm-hmm. there were like actual clashes and stuff like that happening. So, you know, it was a it was a two sided ideological sort of, I guess you call it a, a, a battle. On the, mm-hmm. on the United States front, you had the whole, you know, is San Francisco turning into a, a an authoritarian state, but welcoming other right. dictatorships sort of thing, right? And then yeah, on right. the other side, on the Chinese side, it was more like uh, the, the ideology between like freedom and, and communism, really. So that was interesting. Uh, and that's that question, you know, like nobody's ever asking about that because we were either focused on one or the other side. Uh, mm-hmm. But I understand with your background, uh, Chris, it's it's actually interesting <laughs> because, you know, yeah. this uh, today I was actually talking about this concept. It's back in the days. Right. We usually I, I mean, the, the the American view of foreign policy is that there's a there's a focus on America's interest. Right. Sometimes that involves other countries, but particularly with China uh, back in the days, it was it was like if we can get them to be friendly with us, or if we get them on our side, we can get benefits from it, right? But at the end of the day, American interest is still American interest. But I'm arguing that fundamentally, that's changing today, because China and the United States are so heavily tangled, uh, China with the rest of of the world, actually, when it comes to foreign policy, even some in some cases, domestic policy, you have to always consider China into the question, because you know, whether that's their infiltration to society, how much we rely on their stuff, or just in general, their uh, sheer size and economic power in the world, you almost can't get rid of China in that sense. So today, we're talking about foreign policy, it's like everything you have to consider with the goal of whether that's competing against China in mind, defeating China in mind, or accepting China in mind. Uh, I think that's, I, I personally think that's a really bad thing because of how entangled we are with, with China. But also, it's it's sort of like, 
it's a good thing for me because I actually get to expose some of the stuff that they do. Uh, right. So it's the reputations are getting damaged this way. Whereas before it's like, you don't know much about them because they're technically a foreign country, but now mm -hmm. because they're so integrated into our society, other societies, it's much right. easier to expose that. And I think that's a contributing factor to why there's a fundamental shift in how we view China now today versus maybe like 20, 30 years ago, because of, uh, you know, this idea that they're part of our country for good or bad uh, in, yeah. in that sense. So I don't know if that made sense, but but I'm yeah. trying no, to kind I, of just say, yeah. Yeah, I hear exactly what you're saying. It's becoming a more global society for yeah. better or less, like economically. I, I, it's, it's funny because the American propaganda system is becoming very good. And I think, you know, we all know where they're learning it from. I guess I just assumed when you, when you look at a problem set from the other side, I guess I would have assumed that China seeing that the city was cleaned up for them, the red carpet, pun intended, was laid out for them. Like that would have been an easy propaganda win, you know, yeah. for C to go home and be like, look what they did for us, you know. Uh, but, you know, coming from the other side, I forget that they have their uh, goals set in mind before they come in. And we're all kind of playing mm. the ping pong back and forth. You, you, know, you guys remember there was a there was a piece of information that was super hilarious. Uh, how apparently Xi Jinping's team requested that everyone in the Biden administration, when they meet with Xi Jinping, would smile. Uh, and and so it's like that's I in, in my view that's the most bizarre thing you can ask somebody. Be like, oh, by the way, our leader is so fragile that that if he sees you not smiling, he thinks that you know he's not getting the warmest welcome. Uh, so. And this is actually from a, a Twitter post. I can't remember his name, but he used to be a diplomat for Belarus. And he was directly okay. in contact at one point when she came for a state visit with um, that. Uh, it was actually Chingang, the foreign minister, that they had every single little detail planned out, like which step Xi Jinping would step on, what music, you know, which beat of the music would be playing, that sort of thing. Like for Xi, he's very about that face image, like that reputation stuff, right? So if the red carpets weren't rolled out for Xi in San Francisco, that would have been seen uh, as sort of shaming him. In fact, you saw this in Vietnam when she went for that state visit, uh, I think it was December or November, right? It was after APEC. Um, it, it looked like the Vietnamese communists didn't really care that much for Xi. Uh, it, it could have been unintentional, who knows, but I thought it was hilarious. So I made a video titled it, um, Xi Jinping gets the middle finger in Vietnam because it just, he really cares about that stuff. I don't know if right, that right. makes sense to us. It's like, sure, like we can bash on Biden or Trump or whatever, right? Like at mm -hmm. the end of the day, you know, if you ever did that to him, he he actually gets angry because he, I guess that's what dictators feel like. They have a false sense of, I don't know, uh, like the, the, this pride thing that they always have to have to, to be the biggest guy in the room. Uh, so on, but, but yeah, so that whole thing was hilarious. Well, think of well, like, some I, dictators too, yeah. like Idi Amin, for for example, always wearing this this military uniform, making yeah. himself look important. It is; it's all a, a pomp and circumstance, just show, you know. And so, Chris, when you said that, like I agree, like take full advantage of the fact that you know everybody's smiling at me. This sort of feels yeah. like a, a control tactic, and you know, the red carpet, like you said, the applause, the flags, all of that stuff. But yeah, no, David, very interesting for sure to hear that other side of that, and just. I like what you said too, Chris, about the fact that you know they're already planning all this stuff out well before, and you know the United States is a lot more reactive versus what they're doing. 
Yeah, I think both sides are becoming very reactive, you know, because mm, anybody yeah. that's, that's paying attention to, to global politics can't deny that the United States has uh, the corner of the market as far as like military projection and military powder power, excuse me. But China has the economic power uh, mm -hmm. and, the, and the production capability. Right. And so it's like you're, you're watching that global hegemony, the, the power on the global system start to fracture between East and West. And mm -hmm. uh, one of the reasons I'm so excited to talk to you tonight, David, is because it's like there is a, a difference of thinking, a fundamental difference of mind between the Western mind and the Eastern mind. Uh, case in point, you were talking about you said that our leader is so fragile because I don't think the Western person can comprehend the idea of saving face. Mm -hmm. and and the optics of it but that is a very eastern yeah mindset that everything is optics you know uh the leader of the family the patriarch being in power strength those are things that aren't necessarily as important to us in in the west mm -hmm. you know but, but you know what's now, interesting but now you're seeing those things clash you know you know what's interesting though it's it's i, I always found this interesting like when i i was born in china right when i was in china you know, the, the idea was like um, you wanted to preserve your strength and kind of project it inward, like your your self-fulfilling, you know, your whether that's masculinity or feminine, you know, the feminine side of things, if you're a girl, is that you keep it within yourself and you kind of express it within. But then, uh, you know, the, my perception when I went out here into the West was that, you know, everything was outwards. You kind of express yourself. You know, you laugh, you, you get angry, everything's expressed outward. But then when you actually look at what you just mentioned, Chris, um, what the CCP is doing is they're, they're almost like going against the traditional way of how Asian cultures are, uh, trying to project to be this large monster or whatnot. And then now I'm noticing that the United States is actually doing the, the opposite of what my perception first of, you know, so-called Westerners will be like. Now, now we're talking all about like this, you know, whether that's like the woke stuff or or like all the gender stuff, like this, all of that. It's it's very it's very narrow minded in my view. It's not something that's supposed to be focused on. Uh, mm -hmm. But I just thought that shift is it, it's so interesting because precisely what the the CCP does is they try to fool people by thinking that they're all powerful, right? Like you know, they have supposedly. Before these few years, they had, you know, one of the largest workforces, they have domestic production, they have a growing tremendous amounts of military power. But in reality, what we've seen is that there's corruption in the military, there's actually a young people especially can't find jobs in China. Uh, there's an aging population, there's actually a lot of underneath issues that it's never talked about. And then here, now, I don't agree 100% with all of what Biden, the Biden administration is doing, but one thing I think they're quite good at is keeping the narrative that America is at least still powerful um, against, you know, all of what the propaganda from China says, you know, America's dying, you know, the, the, their country's falling apart, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's not actually that bad compared to what, what's happening in China. But it's like, I, I noticed this like shift uh, it's it's hard to explain, but I hope that doesn't continue because, you know, the I hope we go back to the traditional dynamic of of that. But uh, yeah, that's just something I noticed. Hmm. So uh, going back earlier to what you were talking about, uh, Xi and Biden at the APAC 
thing. Um, you know, just a day or so after leaving, Xi made another statement about rejoining Taiwan with China. Um, and to me, like you said, I don't think a lot of what Xi does isn't calculated. Um, so I feel like that was sort of a power statement. But then I also find it interesting that recently China called on Iran to sort of reel in the Houthis um, in, the, in the Middle East. Do you think that that is uh, some sort of um, response to the American administration in hoping to get some sort of aid for what's going on in their economy? Yeah, I, I do think so. It's always been a bargaining chip for China because China has you know all these friends, right? Iran, Russia, uh, and North Korea. And so you see all three of these bad actors are actually moving uh, almost at the same time. Uh, North Korea these few days have been pretty loud with what they're mm-hmm. doing in, in that area, uh, the peninsula. But you see how it's like if you tie them all back to China, it makes sense because at the end of the day, China wants to get to bargain with the United States, say, you know, you want me to help you get rid of these problems? Give me something that's worth it. Um, so uh, that's that's another thing that I hope the Biden administration doesn't do is cave in on this type of pressure, thinking mm-hmm. that they need to have China's help to accomplish uh, peace in these times. Because, like, sure, you can have a few days of peace, and then you give China a breathing room, and then a year later they go back and they stir more trouble. So it's it's like. Mm-hmm. If you're ever dealing with the thugs, right, or a bully, you, you don't, you don't ever want to give them the inch that they need yep. to kind of, yes. you know, so that, that's that I, I just think that you got to stop there, be strong. Yeah, no, so essentially, you're saying that the, at, at this point, the Chinese will always certainly take advantage of any sort of grace the American, uh, you know, administration gives them. Yeah. Um, I kind of figured when I saw that, it'd be interesting to see their response. I hope that um, something as simple as calling, trying to call Iran off, you know, isn't going to be met with uh, a really big reward like, you know, economic aid. Um, You know, what do you think will really drive the United States to agree to giving China any sort of aid? Do you think there is any sort of real leverage there? Or do you feel like the Americans are going to try and long play this, um, you know, to get more, um, to kind of pull China back underneath some of this American yoke, so to speak? If you ask me this, like maybe two years ago, I would say that the, the, the United States has a lot to, well, at least they would think that there's a lot to offer. But the problem today is China's losing its attractiveness uh, mm. in, in almost every aspect, because now there are alternatives to China that didn't uh, really exist maybe even 10 years ago. Like for manufacturing, you have India, Vietnam, right? For for mm. for uh, any sort of raw material. I think Vietnam was also huge in that. Uh, so if it's purely an economic sort of exchange uh, where China seeks to extract some, some sort of a concession that way, it it almost seems like there's not much that the United States can can get out of that relationship today compared to maybe a few years ago. Um, so in that sense, I really see that the United States may not give China what they want, given the fact that I think it, here's the thing that I thought was, was very interesting is because the Ukraine example, right? Um, China had first tried to appear like they were there. They were the. Um, kind of the middle person, the middleman to broker peace deal, peace right, for, for mm-hmm. the entire 
for the entire war. But obviously, at the end of the day, everybody finds out that China really isn't trying to do that. Um, so since then, I'm not so sure if we ever heard a clear answer from not just the United States, but other countries to just say that, look, I think we should stop trusting China is going to be the middleman to broker the peace deals for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't do it for Ukraine, didn't do it for Israel, Hamas, uh, probably not going to do anything for Iran, like in the, in terms of actually trying to get peace uh, yeah. or North Korea. So that, like, because it just, I think China lost its um, attractiveness in almost all respect. Uh, whether that's their reputation, whether that's their diplomatic uh, abilities, or even just the economic incentives I talked about. So, yeah, I see less and less need for the United States to do that. Um, so mm-hmm. I hope I hope I'm right that they won't do it. Likewise, yeah. Well, at the end of the day, isn't a, a United States uh, distracted around the world, hung up in, you know, all kinds of, of warfare, it, it, that's better for yeah. China at the end of the day, right? So, so they really don't have any incentive to actually broker peace. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. So, yeah, I would like it. Just makes sense to me that they would be the guy sitting at the table, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll totally give him your deal. We're not getting you the deal. You know? <laughs> no, yeah, you're right. Like, I, I mean, okay, sure. You know, give what Iran wants or give what Russia wants. And then that's going to buy you like five days of peace. And then it's going to mm-hmm. go right back, right? And so there's no point in doing that. That's 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 a really good way to put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if you could just kind of jump in a little bit and give a nutshell uh, overview of the housing collapse, the housing and economic struggles that China is facing. Yeah, so totally. Um, uh, let me just start from the beginning because I think it, it's worth for the listeners to understand the context of how we got Excellent. here. Now, Excellent. Uh, in the in the 1990s, this is uh, sort of 10 years after China started to get a lot of money from uh, opening up and reforming its political system in a bit, uh, sort of, not really. But anyway, so um, in Hong Kong and, and around Southeast Asia, there was a way in which they sell houses, which is to do pre-sale campaigns. Now, basically, the developer for the for the apartment complex or whatnot, they do a campaign. Say we're gonna have. This and can beautiful- I can I jump in for just yeah. a second? Uh, at the time, Hong Kong was still a relatively like uh, sheltered free market. Oh yes, city, yes, wasn't yes. it? Yeah. Okay. Yes, at that yes. time, yeah. Hong Hong Kong was still. I believe this is before. This is they were still under British uh, rule. Okay. Because yeah. this was before 1996, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, but the way that they were doing these pre-sales was you put the down payment, you basically kind of, uh, put down like a reserve, the, the, the spot, right. The, the unit. And then, so there were laws and regulations in place in which if something were to happen, let's say the house doesn't get built, you get your money back. So it seems mm-hmm. pretty normal, right? Some, you see them in the United States sometimes too, but the yeah. problem is, uh, large real estate developers like Evergrande and Country Garden. They adopted that idea that that was very popular in Hong Kong and then just crossed into the mainland and started doing the same thing in the late 90s to the early 2000s. With the introduction of uh, China into the WTO, lots of money was coming in. So everybody wanted to buy a house. Everybody had the money to buy a house. So real estate developers and local governments started seeing a huge lucrative opportunity to uh, get profitable from land, uh, for, from building houses. Now, the local governments, the reason why they're really encouraged to work with developers is because the more land that they can lease to these developers, the more money they get. And then the, the real estate developers 
what they did was rather than actually putting the amount of money that they would raise from these campaigns to sell houses is they ended up using that money to take out more loans with the bank to start more campaigns. So over these years, what's really been happening is there's been a lot of homes that haven't been finished simply because the funds were never there to to do that, to finish the homes. They were used to start other projects. So this becomes a large Ponzi scheme. And we really saw that uh, get unveiled in like 2022, 2021 mm-hmm. because of COVID, because of the lockdown. There's just simply not enough money anymore. So what happens? You have Evergrande with I think at the time they defaulted was about 800 unfinished projects. Country Garden had about 2000 unfinished projects. And so different sizes of different developers, they for all these years, because China's been able to bail them out, right, by just printing more money, uh, by manipulating the market, by working with the developers to propagate the market. That always works. Just yes, exactly. Money. <laughs> and, and so, so they just been able to kind of push it forward, right? So they always talk about right. the Chinese housing bubble. What the Chinese housing bubble mm-hmm. really is, it's basically a. It's always been bursting, but it's kind of been taped together again by the by the uh, the cash printout and, and local government's help. Is that they. The real price of uh, houses in China is so artificially inflated because they've been propagandizing, saying that you got to buy a house. Everybody needs a house. And they overbuilt. They overbuilt to the point where there's, I would say, probably enough more, like two, three times more uh, houses than that's ever needed for, for the can population. You, can, you give us, can you give us an idea of uh, U.S. equivalents for like a Chinese house? Uh, you mean in like pricing or pricing, in, yeah. cause you said it's so, so artificially inflated. Yeah. Okay. So let's say, uh, now obviously with inflation, but let's just say the, a $300,000 home in the United States, right? Somewhere in Florida, Florida, uh, is probably going to cost you, I would say like five to six, uh, million dollars or not dollars, but five to six million One. yuan, uh, the okay, Chinese yeah. currency in, in China. Mm-hmm. Right. But okay. The the thing is, if if it if that and it's not house too, it's it's an apartment unit. It, if right. that house was actually worth that much, it would be great. But the problem is, it's not. The reason why is this, right? Um, this is before the pandemic, by the way. I'm just talking about because uh, mm-hmm. when the pandemic hit, everything kind of like turned upside down. But this was before the pandemic. Yeah. Now they were saying this, right? They're saying if you don't buy this unit at five million it's going to go up to 6 million, 7 million. But that's not even the problem because there's 700 other people lining up to take this one if you just don't get it now at 5 million, okay? They're saying that, okay. And then so people started getting really like scared that they will never have a house left. I don't know how people just, I they were just been propagandizing this so much, I guess, that people really believe them that they're not going to be left with a house. So like they panic start buying. buying. They're panic buying. So what the local governments really did was not to create a market for housing. They were creating a market for urgency. People were Mm -hmm. simply buying urgency. They were buying the desire for owning a place. Now, this is also a Chinese. But obviously, these people are are buying these houses on some kind of credit system, correct? Well, they're they're buying it on uh, like they're just a lot of them. They're paying cash. Like at least they're paying the down payment. Wow. Uh, Okay. Okay. So, so that's they're what taking, I'm talking but about. They're taking, they're taking like bank loans also. Yes, yes. So, as we so, would understand them. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So it, the, the actual buying house part is the same as as like a regular mortgage. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. But um, 
this is like a Chinese people thing because Chinese people think that the ultimate goal in having a life is to save up for a house. So you're talking actually about the entire saving of like maybe two, three generations of people in China to go toward that one house. So it's like you're you're being trapped in a giant Ponzi scheme that's run by the government and the and the developers. And then they basically say that give me all your money before by the way, this is still before the houses are even built. This is like in the pre-sale phase. And they're saying Demand, that no this, supply. Exactly. <laughs> So everything is like basically artificially created and manipulated in that sense. So then what happened was uh, leading up to t uh, like today as we speak, um, because for so long, these developers really didn't make any money in the sense that they, they overbuilt, they overspent. Uh, all of them are in like billions of billions of dollars in debt. And it's gotten to a point where it's so big that the government has no way to solve it because... Because as you said before, they're just printing the money. Yeah. The money's going to the people. The people are paying it back to the to the project developers. So yeah. it's really it's just cyclical. And there's no the actual there's no actual wealth. There's nothing of actual value. It's just paper changing. Monopoly paper. money. Exactly. And then the banks don't have a way to get the loans from like they can't get the money back from the developers. Because I mean these developers they can just that's what happens with these large corporations, right? They can just default and then they're saying, okay, well, we'll let the government sort it out. But, but this is not just one, right? This is like multiple uh, trillion. I, I think, I, I don't remember the exact number, but I think Evergrande had like, uh, like two, three trillion yuan worth of, of debt. Uh, and then they went through like five, six rounds of re restructuring since its first default. And it's just I like, think, how I think from watching one of your earlier videos, you said that the, the internal debt of, of the nation of China is like in the nineties of trillions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is, so is that so, correct? Yeah. So that's, that's actually, well, that's, that's actually more to do with, cause China builds a lot of infrastructures, right? Like beautiful oh, skylines. I, I, didn't want, I didn't mean to change your direction. I'm no, sorry, no, but... no, that, that's actually, I, I have to talk about that too. So I'm glad you mentioned it. So okay. Google <laughs> so says it's 325 billion ever, ever grand's debt. Evergrande, yeah. 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 So it's like trillion yuan, but like 300 something billion us dollars. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so the reason why infrastructure is also important is because real estate is about 30% of China's economy. The reason why China's GDP sometimes gets such a high number is because they keep doing infrastructure projects, right? Because technically you're still producing things because you're, you're putting people into work, you're putting amounts of money in, into it. So you build a new bridge, new railways, uh, new buildings, you know, like beautiful, beautiful skylines in China are created this way. Right. But the problem with infrastructure, as everybody should know, is that there's no money to be made on it. Right? Like a bridge doesn't make you that much money unless, you know, you're like New York City and you put like tolls. $16 tolls on every right. car that comes You up. would know, right? Yeah. 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 I, uh, I hate. Oh, is that where York you're at? Yeah. I'm, I'm near New York City. So, that, oh, that's, I'm so I refuse sorry. to go into the city now. And they're even charging like rush hour to uh, toll or something. And they in, are here in, in California, too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys, yeah. you guys need to get out of those communist states, man. <laughs> For sure, I got to so, move back to the United States. The US. the uh, the um, oh yeah, the the uh, so so the infrastructure, right? The reason why they have such a high amount of debt, like a ninety-two trillion dollar worth of hidden debt, is because all that money went into the infrastructure, and there's no way they can make that money back. So it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. So mm -hmm. the problem with real estate, there's also a third industry that's involved it's called shadow banking 
Um, so kind of like um, China's version of BlackRock, where but but it's only for like the elites, right? So only the richest people can play. Um, I think like people need like millions of dollars in net worth before they can even access this. But the shadow banking industry, same game, baby. Yeah, it, it's a. <laughs> So there's the regular stock market for everybody. Then there's the shadow banking investments, which, uh, you know, like these investment banks, they will go and they, they do all these portfolios for you. Uh, that one is also heavily tied into the industry of real estate as well. So that one recently also uh, exploded. I think the, the biggest one is called Zhongzhi Enterprise. They also exploded. So okay. real estate ties into so many areas of China. And it's also tied into large families' wealth the private sector, and all of these things. So to summarize everything uh, that I said to, so far, it's a ticking time bomb that cannot be diffused because it's been 40 plus years since they walked on the wrong path. And so it's bound for failure. It's just how much longer can it hold before it explodes all over the place and just destroys everything. And, and at that point, China's economy would actually collapse. And from what I've from what I've studied, uh, this can also all be kind of drawn back to the fact that the the CCP has mandated a certain GDP growth yep. for the country, mm. correct? Yeah. So that yeah. also drives why the banks are only incentivized to continue the cyclical process because yep. they're also artificially creating a GDP growth, and then they're using the internal housing market, like you talked about, in order to generate a faux product that they're mm -hmm. you know producing right it's very interesting very interesting well the you mentioned gdp like for most countries gdp is a, an output number right it's it's mm -hmm. what you get at the end of the year like you, this this is how much we were able to produce it, it's it, it's supposed to represent your economy in in the sense Correct. right but china's is actually an input number it's like what they decide for the year they're like okay this year we might grow at 5.2 percent that's what they say for 2024. Uh, mm -hmm. So at the end of the quarter or at the end of the year, there's no there's no way that they're going to tell you that we grew less than that because um, it's a mandated number, basically. So it's like you mm -hmm. go in and then they tell each government, uh, each local government, they say, OK, here's your target. You have to hit that no matter what. So what happens if you can't hit it? You either fake the numbers or you do just some stupid things in the economy to try to boost the number close to that. And that obviously contributes to more debt. So it's over the years, like they've been lying to themselves too, uh, the CCP and its goons. Right. Uh, so it just creates that cycle. You know, you mentioned it. it it's it's like at some point you, you got to be more realistic, right? But you've been, because also there's the corruption side too. People really, they're in it to make money. So mm -hmm. you have officials pocketing millions of dollars, sending all their kids to Harvard or Yale or buying, you know, three mansions in, in Canada or something like that. So it's really like wait, why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they invest in real estate inside of China? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you wonder why. Um, that you know what's really interesting about Evergrande is um, there's a there's like a conspiracy about. So the founder of Evergrande, Hui Kaiyan, he's been arrested, right? He's currently like facing investigation over the, the big scandal of how much money that they had lost. But before that, he mysteriously or Un, for undisclosed reasons, divorced his wife, uh, citing differences of some sort. And people were saying that he did so so that his wife can kind of run away with 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 his money 
and kind of leave China. And his sons have trust oh. funds set up in the United States. And then his, uh, sorry, I uh, said so convenient. Convenient, yes. And then also that he filed for, for is a Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in the United States as well. And I, for some convoluted reason, apparently you can launder money. Like they apparently take the assets that he owns. Somehow that can become like clean money for them. I'm not so sure how it works, but that's hmm. like a whole theory I read. So it's, it, that's why the CCP, like Xi Jinping specifically hates these large corporation uh chairman or, or founders or whatever because their goal is to just take money out of china and just move it to the united states or other countries where it's like they can use um, that's a lot of assets that's actually leaving china so obviously the ccp doesn't want that so but i just find it hilarious because um no matter what like this guy's rotting in jail but his family is at least getting a good life out here right like so winning. what is what does g try to do to rein these guys in that he hates so much well, you saw it with Jack Ma, right? Like they, all they mm -hmm. can do is just punish the guy. Like they'll put him in, they'll make him disappear for like two, three years. Uh, some of them, like I think the founder of Evergrande's probably probably going to end up in jail for, I don't know, 10, 20 years. Mm. Um, Jack Ma, the thing is, if you try, so if you show your loyalty in China, right? What happened with Jack Ma was he openly criticized Xi Jinping's way of handling the economy. And that obviously made him really mad but if you can be loyal in china you can survive it's just at the behest of the party you can never make enough money um so you know how china every company has like a communist cell right mm -hmm. uh, they only technically hold like one percent shares or like 0.5 percent but but the thing is like because they're the ccp um you know at the end of the day if they ask you for how much amount of your overall earning you can't say no if you want your company to still exist right so eventually what happens is all the companies that is that is that the way that the the government is ensuring that the business is staying loyal to the yep. ccp they put yep. actual wow wow because you you cannot have a company that's what happened with jack ma and ant group right they they were over they their financial uh, prowess was was too much. They they were rich enough and more because they were also a tech company, right? They also had technology. They were, they were almost capitalistic. <laughs> yeah, you can't have that. <laughs> Xi Jinping called it uncontrolled that. expansion of capital. Basically, it's like not the right direction that he wants <laughs> things to go. So if you're like, for example, you're in China, right? Xi Jinping says, okay, we're going to pivot left to do something. And then here comes Jack Ma. He goes right. And he has the, like, he, it's like he has the wealth. He has the influence. He has the technology to do that. But just because you're now, you know, you're branching much higher than, than the CCP and Xi Jinping himself, we got to cut you down, right? So he just got chopped in half. Uh, and then he's like, I'm voluntarily giving up my, my, my company to serve the well goodness of the party and all these things. Yeah. Because I think after Jack Ma was um, disappeared, there was like a whole wave of Chinese CEOs just showing loyalty, saying that, you know, whatever the party needs, Tencent, the founder of Tencent thought that he could get away by just saying that, you know, whatever the party needs, we'll, we'll follow, we'll, we'll, you know, take my shares, whatever, right? I'll, I'll resign yeah. as, as chairman. Uh, still, I think he he didn't get he he wasn't let off easily because I think now Tencent is is getting another wave of crackdown. But anyways, my point being like it's like you want to be a businessman in China, 
you're not going to make money or you have to show loyalty. Otherwise, you just get stomped. Speaking of that type of corruption, Brandon, I think that's a good spot to pivot into talking about what's going on in the military. Yeah. I literally had the same thought. Yeah, man. yeah. The rocket force, man, that, that is something that I want to hear about for sure. And just some of these issues going on with some of these generals uh, being replaced, I should say. Yeah. Oh, give me one second. I'm going to go open the door for, for her. I'll be right back. Cool. Perfect. I'm going to, I'm going to go take a leak. <laughs> All right. I'm cool. Just for like my own curiosity, um, mm. Cheng Ping Zhao, the the uh, Binance CEO. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know he's in jail. Like he was facing those charges here in the United States and was found guilty. But how much of that will play out for him, if anything, like in China, if he's he's called back? Oh, I that one I was very interested in it because Binance. I knew f- almost like I had a like. Feeling from the very beginning that Binance was some sort of a scam thing. A lot, mm-hmm. There was a rumor saying how he's like a white club, which is basically he he works as a front for like a CCP family mm. uh, to launder money. But there's no actual proof of him doing that. But mm. um, I think the reason why he's he's um, like if, so. Let's say he if he goes back oh, to China, I think he won't be able to he won't be able to appear as like a business person anymore. Like he'll probably disappear. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know if Bitcoin in that sense is that big in China though, because I think China wants really? to do their own like digital currency stuff. Central banking, digital currency. Central banking. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a hundred percent sure what, what CZ yeah. is, uh, it's all about, but yeah, I'm so anti CBDC. I can't even, <laughs> me too no anything cbdc like that just as if i needed more government control in my life you know i definitely don't need that going on but well you, yeah you're a you're a bible reader right brandon so uh, yes. so in the book of revelation where it says that a loaf of bread is going to cost a bag of gold and you will not be able to buy or sell or be in the public right. square unless you have this like yep. tell me tell me that does not sound like yeah, a central bank yeah. digital currency where they can just turn it on, turn, turn it, it off, off, and turn it on. Dude, I'm Nailed telling it. you. <laughs> yeah, no. It's funny. I had recently sorry. had a conversation with my mom about that. No, don't be sorry. I mean, it's 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 a legitimate topic. But yeah, my Christian no, comes out. <laughs> no worries. Um, yeah, no. Very interested to hear because these what Xi is doing with some of these Chinese generals is very reminiscent of just any dictator. Um, mm. You know, Stalin, Hitler. And needing people close to him that are yes men is I get the same yeah. impression that this is kind of exactly what was going on. But the one that made the news the most, like we were talking about before, is the uh, leader of the Rocket Force. Yeah. So uh, China. So, so the Rocket Force, for those that don't know, is responsible for nuclear uh, missiles and strategic weaponry, uh, including, I think, even space weaponries. But mm-hmm. it's like the most important force to to be ready for war, let's say, over Taiwan. So what happened mm-hmm. was uh, about April of last year now. Wow, time flies. Uh, they There was like a whole rumor going on about how the, the, the rocket force generals, they're getting like purged. Uh, mm-hmm. It was confirmed later, obviously. Now we know that they did. The reason I think now still 100% not fully disclosed as to why they were removed uh, but the the real reason I think happened was because they were unwilling to fight over Taiwan because mm. um, 
corruption in the military, it's like it's unprecedented. Deal. It's a big deal. Uh, there was a report by, uh, I think, Bloomberg, mm-hmm. who revealed that uh, there were some rockets filled with water in, <laughs> in yeah, like, the Chinese. Yeah, Bloomberg or Wall Street Journal. I'll find it real fast. Keep going. Yeah, and then they were also saying how the the lids for these like silos, missile silos in Western China, they were uh, they, you can't open them now. Right, um, it, Bloomberg. You yeah. Ask any person that knows China knows that the military has been corrupt. It's the most corrupt under former leader Jiang Zemin because when when Jiang came into power, he didn't really have anybody in the military to support him. So the way that he wanted to rule was say that we can be corrupt altogether, and then everybody for just just make money. Uh, it was called stay silent and make money. And so basically military corruption. Like a rap was song. A- <laughs> yeah. If we're all, if we're all wrong together, we're right. Can't arrest exactly. us all, right? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and then That's- it extended till today, right? Uh, when she came into power in 2012, he also didn't have anybody in the military, but he, he did it the other way. He, he says, I'm not going to do corruption. I'm going to do anti-corruption. So he just starts to like violate the entire military, I guess you call it like a twisted code of some sort, like a mm. brotherhood code. Like, you know, we were in it to make big money and now you want us to stop. And so he pushed right. a bunch of people. He was like in such a lock, a heated battle with the, the I think it was the Navy back in the days, uh, pushed all those personnels. And then, so, so the rocket force is super important because if the rocket force isn't ready for Taiwan, how are you, how the heck are you supposed to, you know, do this invasion? You can't. So um, he got rid of them. Now, there's also the loyalty issue too, right? So you mentioned Xi Jinping, like, uh, needs yes, man. Um, it ties into the reason why the rocket force doesn't want to fight because the rocket force knows their own capabilities. If you mm-hmm. actually uh, have so much corruption over the equipments, you know, uh, like readiness and everything, there's no way that they want to die for Xi Jinping. And so... Now what happens is they've replaced them with outside generals. Now, you guys probably understand this a lot better than I do, which is that if you are in the military setting, uh, you have a homegrown sort of reputation and and uh, respect within the, the, the branch of the force. Uh, when you introduce somebody from the outside, you don't have that level of respect anymore. Trust, yeah. Uh, the, the trust, right? Uh, teamwork, all these things. The rocket force is one that's re- really particularly um, about that. They, All of their generals, all of their leadership, commanders, et cetera, all started from the very bottom. So they, they, they develop their talents within the force. They don't have an outsider that comes in and says, we're going to do things differently. Uh, so now, you know, the question about will the rocket force actually listen to this the commander is from the Navy and the chief is chief of staff is from the air force. So you have, you know, the, the air force guys and the Navy coming in to tell the rocket force what to do. It's probably not going to work, but Xi Jinping doesn't care, right? Xi Jinping needs loyalty. He needs yes, men. Um, so, so that's the first part of the story. The second part to that is uh, the disappearance of the defense minister and the foreign minister. You guys probably heard those two mm-hmm. headlines too, right? How those two tie in with the rocket force is very interesting. Now, there was allegedly an intel leak from China to the Americans, and that involves the foreign minister, Ching Gang. Uh, so mm-hmm. apparently he somehow helped in the process of leaking that intel to the Americans. And that's how the United Damn. States was able to learn about the missile vents 
uh, the, the lids and the missiles filled with water, etc. All these things. Um, so when they discovered that this intel was leaked, that's when you know it, it, they started to disappear people. And then Chingan was disappeared on June twenty fifth, twenty twenty three. Now there's even rumor that he's been killed, etc. But Li Shangfu, the defense minister, he disappeared about a month after that. All of them, like this whole thing is connected, but we still haven't found all of the nitty gritty details as to what really ties everything together. But it, all mm-hmm. we know is just that this is a big old mess that's caused Xi Jinping so much headache. It's still ongoing right. uh, that in my view, my current assessment is that it's hindered their ability to invade Taiwan and to do something major in like the next five to 10 years. So, so I'm actually pretty confident that this was a, a, a big stuff, a, a, a big issue that hinders the CCP's ability and its operational capability. Mm-hmm. I have two questions for you. I remember when all that happened, there was conversation, at least out here in the West, you may have seen David and Chris, of talk of a coup potentially in China. Yeah. And that was the the focus. So the first question is that, and the second is Xi removing some of these generals um, in the name of like corruption. Is he by maybe by accident or design replacing them with more or less competence? Does that make mm. sense? Um, yeah. Could you kind of just jump into the first one and then the competence question? Can I do the competence one first? Cause that's absolutely that's whatever really, you want to do. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's really easy to answer. Um, Xi, Xi Jinping, doesn't have the choice to choose somebody for their skills anymore uh, mm. because he's he's basically burned the bridge with so many people. He can only have people who are loyal. He can only replace those. He's very paranoid right now in the sense that he, he knows that because of the things he's done in the past 10 years, that he's basically burned the bridge and everybody wants him dead in that sense. So he can only use people who show their loyalty. And once there's a slightly sign of disloyalty, he's mm-hmm. going to get rid of them. It's, it's like the Stalin um, mm-hmm. period of, of just terror. Now, yeah. uh, so, so, so to answer your question, skills and abilities come second to loyalty. Now for the Understood. other part, which is for um, the coup talk, the, yeah, the coup d'etat, um, I'm very skeptical of it actually happening because, first of all, Xi Jinping has all of the control over the um, basically the secret servers, like the Chinese version of the secret service, who Mm -hmm. surveils all of the CCP leadership and military officials. And the second is everybody knows that now if you try to go against Xi Jinping, you're basically going to give get give up everything you have and everything that your family has which to many elites in the CCP isn't about that because at the end of the day, they care more about their wealth and living a luxury life and their power, right? So, so a lot of them aren't incentivized to do that. But there were cases of coup uh, in the because specifically with the rocket force, there was the, the talk how they tried to remove Xi. But the, you know, it logically doesn't really make sense to me because the rocket force, they're not like, you know, the Marines or the, the mm-hmm. army, they don't have special forces to just say, yeah, we're going to take out Xi or something like that. Yeah. Um, so people were joking how the rocket force were, was going to launch a missile when she was in the air uh, to when he was flying to South Africa for the BRICS summit. That's why Xi Jinping is really afraid to go out of China. But but <laughs> points interesting. Aside, it, it, it's like Xi Jinping is fearful for his life. That's clear, right? And, and, like everybody wants him dead. That's that's totally 
true. Um, but it's also true that like it's hard to start a coup against Xi Jinping because he has so much power. In fact, mm. um, something to understand about the way Xi is running the country right now. Um, Xi Jinping has, even though he has all this power concentrated into one person's hand, he's still afraid that the traditional methods of government, military, and the party is out to get him. So what he's done is he created this like something called a secretary's office within each level of the the, the, the government, the party, and the military. These people, they're basically like spies that are sent to become like assistants to say like a general or assistant to like an official. And whatever those people say gets directly reported back to the central office of secretaries, uh, which is overseen by one of Xi Jinping's like confidant. And so they bypass all traditional methods of passing on information. And so they're actually spying on every single official. So sometimes, like nobody, no, everybody knows that they're getting listened to, uh, they're being listened to, but nobody has an idea who that person is. So imagine, right? Let, let's say, you know, the three of us, we're having a conversation in like the coffee room uh, mm-hmm. about something. And then like suddenly, you know, I miss said something or I misspoke about something and that gets reported. reported. I could disappear the next day. Uh, so that's how Xi Jinping is running the country. He's also focusing on using like spy agencies to to run like the uh, the political side of things as well because he's just super fearful. It's like a it's really like hundred percent a carbon copy of what happened in the Soviet Union under Stalin. Like it's just mm-hmm. there's eyes and ears everywhere, people disappearing, uh, people getting purged, and he's just full of paranoia over the situation. So two things that I have on that. What, hmm. I think that the average American has this concept of Xi Jinping as being uh, a competent, confident mm-hmm. dictator mm-hmm. of his Definitely country and, that way. and being in control. Uh, I don't know if that's because of the Chinese propaganda that comes over to us or if that's the way that he's presented it in the American media. Hmm. But what you're describing to us is – much more of a what I'm going to call a paper tiger, a much more yeah. fragile person than we're used to being presented. One and then two, if China is supposed to be so strong on the world stage, you can't be strong globally and and on the foreign front if you're that worried about what's going on inside your own borders. Because you know if your target is divided. You see what I'm saying? And that is, mm-hmm. it's very interesting. The person that you're presenting to me is not the person that I've seen in the media. I yeah, mean, no. just you, you look at history. Every single dictator has tried to be the greatest, right? They, 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 they have to appear like, you know, the whole idea that Kim Jong-un doesn't uh, – poop or my, pee my, yeah my man my main man he doesn't, Kim don't he doesn't poop, david dude. don't say that he doesn't <laughs> <laughs> so i it, it, which is funny to me because like the whole idea of the chinese communist party is that there's no higher calling there's no there's no god there's no heaven right that sort of thing but then it's like they artificially create this god like mm-hmm. this god on earth in mao in in now xi jinping so they're always seeking to be that paramount sort of a deity of, of, a, of an image of themselves. Um, if you actually think about it, right, it's a lack of confidence. Uh, the reason why I, I'm actually really happy, that, the reason why the United States, here we can criticize and to 
it's almost like brawl, you know, going to war right now over things like the border issue border. or otherwise. Preach, brother. Preach. It's because we thing. have a confidence that we can, through this process of arguing, you know, whether that's actually, you know, going to the civil war is, is that it's supposed to have a better outcome for the country. Mm-hmm. But China's, you know, how confident is the CCP going to let people to freely, you know, brawl over things? They would never do that. It's a lack of confidence. And well, the, this I, is really- the I, yeah, the idea is that our laws are enshrined in documents that cannot mm-hmm. be changed by mm-hmm. a person. It's mm-hmm. written on a parchment. We have our freedom of speech, our freedom of assembly, our freedom of religion, our our right to bear arms, our right against inerrant. order. Yeah. And they're inerrant, and we believe as Americans that they are not given to us by man. They aren't given yep. to us by government. They are given to us by God that we just mm-hmm. have these the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? Uh, and yep. I'm so it's it's very interesting um, for you to say that and how grateful that you are for it as a person that was born there and then come here to see that. Uh, and I wish that more people would understand. But you, the reality is that you can't get. I think every veteran has said at least once, forgive me my little diatribe, guys. I think every veteran has said at least once that I wish that I could take that college kid and plant him in insert place that I was deployed to so that Mm -hmm. he could see the things that I've seen. And then he would shut up and he would stop complaining about his, you know, whatever blue haired trans issues, whatever. Yeah, his, you know, his, his name was misspelled on his Starbucks latte. Yeah, because it's like, there are real people in the world that have real problems. I remember seeing Mm -hmm. videos during COVID of, of people in Beijing, uh, like screaming outside Mm -hmm. of the apartments. Do you remember those videos? Because they were locked in and then being welded into their house. Yeah. And then, and then the, the Chinese government coming in and, and stealing people's animals and dragging bags of yeah, dogs, dogs and cats out to go throw them in the furnace alive to burn them. I, I remember seeing that. And, and people in the United States can't comprehend. They, they honestly can't. When you, when you can stand around and complain, right, about the aforementioned things that I talked about, it's because we are so free. We are so free that we're inventing things mm-hmm. to be yeah. mad about. We're coming up with things to be mad about when there are people in the world that have real problems that are under Soci- real dictatorial regimes. It's a too rant, comfortable rant society. Sorry. No, it's a it's yeah. a too comfortable yeah. society. That's a symptom. David, you set yeah. me off. You touched my button. That was my thing, dude. I'm a, I'm no, a freedom. I I'm a freedom first liberty guy. <laughs> I, I think that's a whole other discussion about, yeah. you know, communism I in America. I, I think like that's a whole mm. uh, other other people. Like you have a lot of scholars doing that. But but no, I get what yeah. you're saying because the 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 issue is uh, the grass is always greener on the other side. It's like we see we see what we don't have right so it's like okay in america you have all this freedom what you don't have is oppression and tyranny maybe we should i'm talking about those people that want it they're like oh maybe we got to introduce some of that socialism here so we can get a taste of it well the thing is as somebody who's experienced both uh you definitely don't want that in your life Mm -hmm. because the you know you guys know about the recent case with uh like these ccp nationalists in london do you hear about the, the the piano uh player? He was he Oh was yes, he was he interrupted with... his his camera while he was yeah, yeah. playing piano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the whole thing I thought was super Don't ironic touch her. is that 
Yeah, don't touch it, right? I, the whole thing I thought was super ironic was that, like, can these people do this in China, mm-hmm. openly criticize, you know, trying to do things that way? Like, they can't. They don't have any rights to do that. Like, in China, you can't vote. You don't have freedom of speech. You don't have freedom of, of uh, religion. You can't carry guns. You can't even have a knife. If you're mm-hmm. a butcher or you're a chef, you have to put chains on your cleaver because oh, they're Oh, I did sca- see this video. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I did. You, you know, you get you – get, made like you get put in jail for like charges that they don't even make sense like subverting state power like what does that even mean anyways uh where where were we what have we even talking about i I totally forgot i do i do i do have a question for you getting getting things back on track uh Mm. so this is from mrs cfc this is this is from my wife she had one Mm. question that she wanted me to ask you tonight so have you seen these these memes uh are you a meme kind of guy yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Okay, so we we have them in the United States where they'll they'll show like a video of like a sixty thousand plus like football stadium, Americans mm-hmm. going wild, and then like they'll do like the American military flyby, yeah, and yeah. it'll be like the average European mind cannot comprehend. This. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my yeah, my, my Super Bowl. yeah yeah yeah. So my question for you is just which I don't necessarily agree with it because that's just peak American decadence. And that's not supposed to be the thing that we export around the world, but whatever. What, from your experience, what is something about America? So I'm going to ask this both ways. What is something about America that the average Chinese mind just cannot comprehend? And then Mm. vice versa, what's something about China that the average American mind just, cannot comprehend so this is kind of that east versus west mindset uh i'll do the first part um yeah i think one uh, just based off my memory of recent cases it's actually the uh so china propagandizes two things right one is the like the the looting and the rioting that happens in america which i mean kind of to be fair that is a big big yeah. big oh, problem yeah. in america it is. Uh, so like, cause we're a transparent society. So obviously like Europeans love to crap on America for, for, you know, this, this like being, you know, there's, oh yeah, there's like gun violence, blah, blah, everywhere. Whatever uh, dude, back right. to back world champs, baby, <laughs> world war champs. <laughs> but the thing that they really cannot comprehend in America is actually, I think how, um, how do I describe this? Like, uh, worryless or, um, mm-hmm. like stress-free. Friend- Stress-free, yes, yes, stress-free, because it almost feels like, um, unless you're in New York City, you probably just, like, I, you know, I went to Colorado once, and I was like, because mm-hmm. I live near New York, I feel the sense of urgency, right, but I was in, like, other states, even in Florida, I just feel like people are more relaxed, so in general, mm-hmm. I think Chinese people can't understand how relaxed Americans are, um, mm. because they're like, huh. shouldn't those people be worrying about getting a home, you know, getting you know, like five kids or two kids or whatever, right? Like, it's like, they can't comprehend the, the way of life in America. Um, uh, wow. it's, oh, that obviously extends into the American dream idea too, right? It's, it's, mm-hmm. I think it's like to think that you can achieve what you want in life without a plan, uh, and without, you know, having to have your entire early year set out and things like that it's it's very i think it's very bizarre i think this is not just a chinese uh a china thing but it's more like i think an asian culture thing mm-hmm. large extent of uh to to some extent other countries have it but in 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 the most prominent i think china has it now for the second part which is what americans can't comprehend about china uh 
wow, I think there's there's so many. Yeah. <laughs> every right. every everything that I do, I think Americans cannot comprehend. Like they're the I'll just say the most bizarre one, I think, is probably that China kills prisoners for their organs. I don't think yeah. I don't think anybody in the world had, can come. Yeah, yeah, we had a big conversation about that like, last that, time. That, that's like wild. That, that's that's proven? Yeah, like talk they about just, it. Yeah, David. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, har- so, they harvest prisoners' organs? Yep. So um, there's a China tribunal, <laughs> which is an independent tribunal in uh, made up of uh, like human rights people. I shouldn't people. be surprised. Yeah, they they uh, they came up with a with a final conclusion, like a final judgment that China undoubtedly. I, I can't remember the original phrasing, but is there no doubt, no question about that they're actually doing this. So uh, in 1999, the the CCP started persecution against a group called Falun Gong, and the way that they wanted to get rid of this group after putting them into jail was to obviously they want to kill them, right? But they they said that we have a way to make money off of this. So what happened was in like early 2000s, there's reports saying uh, like relatives were saying like, you know, their family members were jailed, um, you know, passed away. And then they immediately like cremated the bodies. They wouldn't let the family see or whatnot. And there were like rumors about these things happening. So two Canadian human rights lawyers, David Mattis and David Kilgore, they did their own uh, investigation into this. They made phone calls into China pretending to be organ uh, recipients or mm-hmm. wanting to get an organ transplant. And they called them, they asked them like, hey, do you guys have, have organs? Uh, blah, 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 blah. They're like, yeah, just come in and, and we'll get you, get it done, right? Uh, or they asked specifically, they're like, do you have organs from like Falun Gong practitioners? I heard they're healthy. And the mm-hmm. doctor says, uh, yeah, yeah, we do. So the timeline in which you can get an organ transplant, like say a kidney transplant, in the United States, maybe six months to a year or even longer. Yeah, it's a, in it's China, a long you can time. get in China, you can get it done in like two weeks. So, how in the heck is it possible Surplus. that you? Yeah. So, not only do you need to have a pool of people ready to be killed for their organs, it has to be a, 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 an amount large enough because this was a growing operation across China. China before yeah. 2015 did not have a organ donation system. Right. Meaning, and there's only and there's only one way to keep an organ viable. Yep. It's got to stay perfused with blood. Yep. So <laughs> think about this, right? China has, China has how many people? Like 1 billion plus people, right? Mm-hmm. How many people yeah. are on death row, uh, who are death row prisoners? Maybe like 80,000? I mean, because if you're, you're, you've been sentenced to death sentence, you're not going to be executed immediately, right? But there's also, right. you know, not that many people in comparison to the population that are death row prisoners. So China claims, again, before 2015, there's no official donation system. They claim that all their organs come from death row prisoners. So how the heck are you? Because in one hospital at some point in China, they do 1,000 transplants in a month. Mm -hmm. That's just one hospital in China. So Telegraph, the Telegraph UK newspaper cites between 60 and 90,000 transplants a year in China. And this is from 2021. Yeah. So how the heck is 80,000 death row prisoners supposed to match 80,000 donors? That's impossible, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, you know, you'd solve one of the biggest health crises in the world. So anyways, uh, 2015, they changed their whole yeah. story. Now they're yeah, saying that there's a volunteer system. Yeah. That math and, don't add up. <laughs> that math don't matter. So, so, so uh, the other thing was um, at some point they like ran out of 
uh, Falun Gong practitioners. Mm -hmm. So they started going on with the Uyghurs, right? That's they started putting concentration camps. They started harvesting Uyghur, the, the organs of the Uyghurs, and now they've gotten to a point where they're running out of organs too. So they're literally just killing people on the streets now. There have been like multiple cases in the past few years of just young guys, like teenage boys, uh, disappearing, like mysterious death, suicides. And uh, there are even videos of, of I, I won't go into details just in case YouTube decides that it's too much. Um, but uh, yeah, it, this is so crazy. Now, um, one of the other things that's, that's also interesting is that the reason why China did this is like for some people to think that, oh, you know, like, oh, they just they found a way to get organs and stuff. Right. No, it's mm-hmm. actually a systematically planned out uh, scheme because the the people that are responsible for this organ harvesting scheme, they're controlled by something called a 610 office. The 610 office is a it was created after 1999. The main purpose is to use unlimited amounts of resource to direct the persecution of Falun Gong and to be able to like utilize like the police system, medical system, and the judicial system. They even created this thing called an organ transplant pathway, in which uh in the middle of the night, for example, you get police escorts, two ambulances full of doctors and nurses, uh, and then you get driven to this uh prison camp for example they take the person that they're supposed to kill for their organ they basically just just you know do their thing the form of execution is the organ harvesting and then they immediately get police escort hold, back hold to the on hospital. hold on back up just a little bit because i mm-hmm. i am i am i am a medic so this is very interesting mm-hmm. to me you mm-hmm. said the form of execution is the organ harvesting yes. so can i understand that to be that they they put the person they would intubate the patient keep them breathing mm-hmm. and then and then anesthetize them and then literally remove the organs in reverse order of bodily function till the uh, till the body passes away the so it it the, it is different different scenario yeah, sorry sorry because 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 like for me like i i'm very medically minded so yeah, yeah, when, yeah. when you said that 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 means something to me so in some cases the person is uh aware that they're they're being you know cut open and, and the, one of their organs oh being gosh. taken out. In other cases, they're put to now I don't know the medical terms, but they're, they're put to sleep. That would be uh, an, then, that that was anesthetized. That was anesthetized. That okay, and then okay, th- yeah. they would be. But anyways, the the no matter what, at the end of the day, that person will be dead by the end of it uh, because they would take away. The organs. Now, I don't know how they do the actual procedure, but this is uh, now. I'm not making this up because there's actual doctors testifying that they do this in in China. They were personally involved in it. Uh, There was a Uyghur doctor actually. This was even before 1999. This was in 1993 or 1994. They were already doing this. It's just after 1999, it became a mass. It's been happening for 30 years. Yep. for for uh, if I can account that guy's experience, it was mm-hmm. again Please. middle of the night. He wasn't told what they were gonna do. It's just that they were tasked a phone call, tasked them to do this. So they got into an ambulance. Nobody was talking. Right? It was like super, just just like mysterious. They get to this place. They find out the person's been shot, but not directly to the heart. It was just. I don't know how it works, but basically the person was still alive because when they cut open into the person, the blood was still gushing out. So it means that obviously the heart was still pumping. 
probably uh, clip the subclavian artery or something like that, but the art the heart was still viable. Yeah, and then so they removed all their organs, kidneys, uh, you know, liver, these sort of yeah. things. Uh, and then secretly they 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 went back and went to and do the transplant. So that's what the green organ transplant pathway is: is you get police escort and you get the shortest amount of time from prison camp to hospital well, it, if they're not next to each other. Well, if I oh may, in the United States, mm-hmm. we have a we have a system that's somewhat similar. Like I mm-hmm. have the opportunity when I get my driver's license mm-hmm. in the United States to say, "Do I want to be an organ donor?" Yes, and then I can say yes. So that way, if something happens and I'm in a, you know, God forbid, a traffic accident, accident and yep. The police would see that and then would let my spouse know, hey, mm-hmm. your husband is – but in the United States, it's he's no longer – like if I was brain dead or in a coma, yep. mm-hmm. he decided to be an organ donor and then they would have to ask my wife too to sign off on it and mm-hmm. then they would harvest my organs, which – I absolutely signed, you know, if I'm dead, I can't use them. Let somebody else yeah. use them. Not my liver guys. I drink, but everything else you're mm-hmm. good. Right. <laughs> right. But you're saying in China, uh, not so they like, they just saw a person on the street that was injured and then they didn't get a chance to like sign up for this or anything. They just boom, involuntarily. They involuntarily were harvested. Is that what you're saying? So, China doesn't have a voluntary donation system until at least 2015. So now I'm not saying every person on the street that got into a car accident is getting their organs taken sure, away. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, but it's a, it's a, because back in the days like this, that's why I say this is not for just the organ itself, right? It's not just applying to every person because the reason why it was applying to the prisoners of conscience is because it is able to eliminate them, right? They were the group that they wanted to get rid of at the same time can kill them for their organs. And the method in which they can kill them is to harvest their organs. So it's a system in which they do this. Now, if you're just a regular Joe and you happen to got into a car accident in China, your organs might still be intact. Obviously, I, now I'm not so, so sure if the doctors would ask, but I think there were ways in which they can, like the family can decide if they want to give the, okay. the, the, the organs to the hospital or not. Uh, but there's no official, like the, you mentioned on the back of your driver license, uh, in, I think in Canada, they also have it, which is, uh, like their health card or whatnot. Right. But yeah, so, so that's, that's the big difference. Um, mm-hmm. I'm glad you actually asked those questions because a lot of times I wish people like it, it helps to kind of clarify more as to the reason right. why this is what's happening. Uh, well, my my job in the military is to study Asian politics, so I'm not the oh, average. Okay. I'm not the average American. I'm, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Thank you. I know at at this point it'll be a, a hard pivot, but I am mm. curious. You talked more uh, earlier about how what China has to offer is sort of dwindling. Um, mm. How does that play into as the world recovers from the supply chain issues after mm. COVID to the BRI? Yeah. Uh, Good question, because the BRI was obviously China's influence machine, right? Buying things with money. Um, when if, if you run out of money, you can't sustain the huge amount of money. out. So the BRI, Belt and Road Initiative, is also one that loses money. The mm-hmm. main purpose of it is to buy influence. Uh, so you're essentially, you're giving out loans to countries that have no way to pay it back, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, if they can't pay it back, you just end up taking like whatever yeah. that was 
that right. was the given. plan the whole long. Yeah, that was the plan, right? But 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 then still, you know, like if you're not making money on the investment, you're you're still losing money. So in the sense, BRI, its entire purpose is for uh, for influence. Mm-hmm. So it's always been a money draining machine. It's never been a money making machine. Um, if China doesn't have enough money, it's going to have to scale back its influence operations in the BRI. And uh, with the alternatives to China, like India is one that's quickly becoming, you know, India has a similar size of population, similar. It actually, in fact, I argue has a better integration into the Western world because they're large English speaking population. I think they're, well I, think they're, the, I think they're the fifth, I think they're the fifth size military in the world. If, yep. if I remember correct, they're like right up there by manpower. And, and exactly. And all they need is just, they're basically in the infant stage of what China was during like the reform and opening up. So they have huge potentials. Vietnam is another one that's going to uh, be alternative to China's manufacturing. Uh, Indonesia manufacturing. You have a lot of places, Thailand, um, all these places, they're, they're basically, and then, for example, with Hong Kong, right? We mentioned Hong Kong. Back in the days, Hong Kong was the Asian financial hub. Now Singapore is replacing Hong Kong. So it's like, it's like now you, you wonder what does China can actually offer the world that other countries cannot. Mm-hmm. And so when we're talking about the supply chain issues you mentioned just now, um, if the United States wants to, st- st- sorry, to strategically relocate its supply chain, why not do it with a country that it's not with number one enemy? Uh, you know, with, with other countries, you, you still get the same amount of benefits just without the baggage that is the CCP attached to it. Mm-hmm. So if, I mean, who wouldn't want that deal? So that's why I say the the incentives for China is waning, but the demand for interesting. the rest of the world to become uh, to rise up is, 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 I think, there. So there's really no reason to rely on China. Now, obviously, this is not going to happen just within a few years. It's going to still take time. Sure. Mm-hmm. But it is going to in that trend. So political analysts would say that two rising powers are this, – this has been a, uh, a theory that is long held true. Two rising powers are in a inexorable – Entwine, like they are going mm. to conflict at some mm. point. Thucydides um, trap. Mm-hmm. Yep, the Thucydides trap. Exactly. Do you think that the United States and China are still on that path at this point? Yeah, uh, I think the United States. I, I was. I read this book and I thought it was so interesting. I never thought of it that way. It was um, like because so every empire has its end, right? Dynasties mm. change. So eventually something bigger or greater or newer is going to come and replace the old. That's what, mm-hmm. you know, it you must. think about global powers, like the great uh, British empire was replaced technically by the United States in terms mm-hmm. of global power after World War II, or maybe even but before it, but World it was War II. Done, but it was done peacefully. Exactly. As so allies. Right. The problem is... Well, well, at- not... Hold on. Not necessarily because uh, people are going to like get... In the, well, actually, the revolution. Well... But, we yeah, didn't replace them as the global power, power. No. during no. the revolution. It wasn't until mm-hmm. much later. Exactly. But I just so, had a couch yeah, my yeah. statement. But, but what I'm trying to say is every uh, power that's tried to go against the United States has, has failed to replace it in our recent memories, at least. Mm-hmm. So the unions tried, right? The, the Cold War. Now this new Cold War mm-hmm. with China. I'm very confident that the United very States— Very interesting is, that you called it a Cold War with China. 
That yeah. was that. It, that is very interesting to me. You think it? You think we have been in a cold war with China? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, look at all the traits of a cold war. There's arms race, right? Mm-hmm. Now we're we're right. not just arms race anymore. We we're way past nuclear. Now we got like high tech high tech race. You got mm-hmm. the space race. You have the uh, semiconductor race. You have AI race, right? Like I just quantum, haven't heard another computing. person act. Yeah, I've I've been arguing that in my house with my wife when I, when I get up on my soapboxes at night. I've never heard another person actually call it a cold war with China. Well, it I is. Think, I, I've been calling it, is, it that yeah. for for a long time now, but you're just the the first other person I've heard say it. So I mean, you look at look exactly at what happens said it. with with the um sorry with the the geopolitical <laughs> divide, right? It's like the Cold War. The Cold War was the Soviet bloc yeah. versus the free world. Like now, it, it's just a different name. Now it's just China, Russia, Iran, North Korea. It's mm-hmm. all this. I think the idea of a Cold War, the name scares a lot of people, saying that oh no, you know we're going to be doing all these things. But actually, all these is they, they they've always been there. It's just oh, even if we don't call it the Cold War, we call it like the next summer vacation at Camp David or something. I don't know, but it's still the, the characteristics are still there, right? Like you have the, the spy, the, the, yeah. the whole spying versus, mm-hmm. you know, that's still happening. U uh, S and China. Uh, so I don't see how this is. The I Chinese think, spy uh, balloon last February. The Chinese spy balloon. To go to your original thought on that. I think it's very interesting because um, I, I always see this as a side of good versus evil because I always no matter what people think about the United States, they I think the United States represents the good in this battle. Interesting. Uh, so from my perspective, I yeah. sometimes think it's very kind of uh, too wishy. Uh, but, but I do think that the good side will win if they really stand on the side of human history. Because I think at the end of the day, human history is about overcoming the mm-hmm. evil of the time. And both, you know, the world were the two world wars, the cold war, just I'm talking about the last hundred plus years has right. shown us that eventually the, the good will prevail. So I really, I, I think there's, you know what people, if, if you don't believe in a higher calling or a religion or whatnot, you might not think that, Oh yeah, it's just coincidence or whatnot. But I think if you are religious, you would see that this is, it fits the pattern of the teachings of multiple different religions mm-hmm. that, right. Like why, what's the point in being good? If you, you just everybody can just kind of you know fall and, and, and kind of be corrupt, right? I think Amen. that's the point here. Is yeah. the evil side always seems much stronger? They always seem much more uh, at the moment they're winning. But at the end of the day, you see that actually, if you prevail and be good, uh, you will be you will win in the end. So I, that's what that's what I view it as. Like the whole U.S. China situation, it's really good versus evil. It's not just two countries or two systems. It's an ideology thing too, right? Communism is evil. Let's just say that. It is evil. Uh, the United States has its problems, obviously. Uh, but some people over-exaggerate it as if that's yeah. supposed to represent the whole, like, just let's just forget about the, the other, you know, all the good things that the United States has offered the world mm-hmm. and in, in its history. And just let's focus on a little bit. So I think in that sense, you know, you look at the bigger picture, it's really that uh, good versus evil for me. I would David, say too that pre- what you preach, yeah, David, yeah, no. preach on, brother. I think that more Americans need to hear what you have to say. I, I really do. I think that more Americans need to hear what you have to say. And to quote Thomas Jefferson, just to put an exclamation point on what you said, uh, the tree of tyranny must be refreshed 
or sorry, the tree of liberty. Oh, wow. Mm. I almost apocryphal. The tree of liberty must be refreshed by the blood of tyrants and patriots alike. Like, it must be. Anyway, I'm out. Uh, Brandon, you. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say that your your point, David, about how in the end, especially representative of the last, well, now plus 100 years, right, at the end of World War One, that good has always prevailed. Mm-hmm. And that perhaps philosophically, it answers the question a lot of people ask whether or not human beings are inherently good or bad. And yeah. that perhaps it answers that question and that humans are inherently good. Um, and that over the long run, that good prevails because those doing the bad, whether they're doing it under the, you know, the barrel of a gun or choosing to do it, um, they just can't outlast. They have to Mm -hmm. go back to what their nature is eventually, and they can only endure um, doing bad uh, for so long. And to be a leader under the, you know, the barrel of the gun, like I said before, and forcing people to do bad, eventually people are going to get sick of that. Um, mm-hmm. and so perhaps, you know, your, your statement really answers that question about the inheritance of, of good or evil inside mankind. And perhaps the answer truly is, you know, humans are, are good overall. So, and you know, just, I, I know we're about to, to end, but I just wanted mm-hmm. to say that this is also a reflection of what's happening in China too. Um, China, after the communists came in, they systematically removed the connection for people to faith and to religion mm-hmm. and to China is a very religious culture, actually. It's always had a divine sort of connection. What Mm -hmm. China did after the communists came was that they took that away and they say that you can't not believe any of that. You cannot have hope in somebody else, you know, being a part of your life other than me, the communists. And so Mm -hmm. what ends up happening with people today in China is that they don't feel a sense of hope. They don't feel that there is something driving them forward. So they either succumb to the CCP's influence so much or that they simply think that the like their entire worldview is collapsed because there's no way out, right? It's called so that's, it, in- that's called that's called nihilism. Nihilism, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's pretty bad cuz like in in China it's like people just you know, if you have money you just focus on you know pleasure. Uh, mm-hmm. if you don't have money that, then it's that's called hedonism. <laughs> It's like everything. Yeah, all so, well, he, well, hedonism is uh, like the only thing that matters is what gives me happiness, what gives me yeah. pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. hedonism. Okay. Nihilism means there is no. Nothing matters. There's nothing matters. Nothing matters. I just exist, and so, so I, is, I can't. I can't exert my will on, uh, like my world because, you know, I came from nothing and I'm going uh-huh. to nothing, so nothing matters. That's nihilism. <laughs> But does that explain like China's pure materialistic view of things? Like, you know, I don't, th- like- I don't think so. Because from what you've explained to me, they're trying to replace religion with the government. Well, so, they are. Yes, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And and I think if a person doesn't have, because a natural person, okay, forgive my, forgive me, guys, for going on my Christian diatribe here. <laughs> a per a person by virtue of being a human being made in the image of God, which is what I believe is going to think about what happens when we die. Yeah. What happens when the lights go out is everything that I did during this life. Is it going to mean something mm-hmm. when I close my eyes for the last time? Where am I, where am I going to open them? Am I just, is it just eternal nothingness? Mm-hmm. Well, it, if that's the case, if there's nothing on the other side, then I'm going to burn my candle out bright here. But for people that believe there's something on the other side, 
I'm going to leave something behind for my children and, and their children, right? Like there, there's this idea of what I do echoes into eternity. Mm-hmm. And I truly, I truly believe, this is just me, guys. I truly believe that what we do as human beings echo into eternity. Look at our forefathers. Look at the look at our American forefathers that give us the Constitution. Look at the Greeks that gave us the Pantheon. That gave us, you know, the great uh, the seven wonders of the world. Look at the Egyptians. Like what human beings do, echo into eternity. It must look at the Great Wall of China. Like what we do, what we build, echoes into eternity. It it, it eternally changes the face of the earth that we live on. I I must believe this, you know, but when a government comes along, coming back to the point, when a government comes along and says, hey, nothing matters, right? China specifically, throw away your Taoist, Buddhist, Buddhist beliefs. The only thing that exists is the CCP. The only thing that exists is loyalty to the party. I can't imagine living under that or. Or, right, like, why would I buy one of your evergreen houses that you're building? Because, well, I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. And then, I'm, and then, like, atheistically, I go off into the forever sleep. Nothing, nothing I do here matters. Why, why would I do any of that? Why would I pay into your system? I can't imagine a government built on atheism because... Well, here's my one point, right? Well, what's going to happen to the prime minister when he dies? She, mm-hmm. because you're you're telling me that no, like nothing exists after we die. Don't believe in religion, and here's my here here's my leader. Well, what's going to happen? What's going to happen after he dies? I think they do a good job of lionizing, though. Mm. The, the past leaders like they dealt with Mao and it definitely CG trying to do the same thing. Um, you know, I think that their, their view of eternity to use your word, Chris is, um, leaving behind a legacy in the state of yep. sort of, of that. The literature that she writes is like a, a Bible of sorts. And that yep. is the intent is the yep. right. Mao's book, all that stuff. Yeah, interesting. But um David, man, I really appreciate you coming on. I wish we had some more time with you. Um you know, a couple of other questions I wish we could have got to. Um so but we're definitely going to have you on again. I really appreciate you coming on. It is a pleasure as always. Um and uh, I just want to give you the opportunity before you hop off to to say anything else impart any any last gems of wisdom uh if you if you have any. No, I uh, I just uh, appreciate uh, inviting you back on again. It's always a great time chatting with you guys. Uh, looking forward to the next one. I'm just, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure like, because there's so many things going on that, that there's more in, than enough questions to be asked. So we can be here all night. But, uh, you know, things will develop and we'll get something even more uh, shocking. <laughs> yeah, days, exactly. Sure. Yes. So. D- David, what? Well, yeah, Galsini hung Galsing Regini. Oh, see, 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 see. Yeah. Great. All right, guys. Well, this will wrap up another episode of I Came With Fire podcast. Like I said before, you can listen to our other episode with David, China's TikTok and Clock. 
and um, go find David at China Insider um, YouTube channel, uh, social media as well, Instagram, and then also check out Chris's page, Common Freaking Sense Podcast. Um, you can find that where he said at the beginning of the episode. All right, gentlemen, let's wrap this up. You guys have a good night.